Welcome to Something Rhymes with Purple, our English language podcast. I'm Giles Brandreth, and with me is my friend Susie Dent. And we're here today talking about words, language, because that's what the podcast is all about the joy of language, the power of language. And we're going to talk today about bad language. So if you are of a sensitive disposition and feel that you hear enough of the F word on the number 49 bus, which I certainly do, uh, now is the time to go back and see if you can find last week's podcast or next week's podcast, but not this one, because we are going to be using a little bit of bad language as we go along. I'm talking about whether, in fact, it is so bad. Yeah. Exactly, because a word is just a word. It's just a, it's just a sound, isn't it? Um, mm, but they're charged. They are charged. The authority we have to do this is nil in my case. I'm just a word enthusiast. I love language. I know a bit about language because over the years I've written books about it. I'm the founder of the National Scrabble Championships. Susie is a proper trained... Are you a philologist? Are you a lexicographer? What are you? On Countdown, the show that I appear on in Britain, I um, am known as a lexicographer. But do you know what? When people say, can you give us your job description? I never know how to reply. I just like to say that I am a logophile. I love words and I've grown up with words and I have... Trained, been trained and trained myself. So studied and studied some more. Now we're going to talk about bad language today. Mm. So if bad language doesn't appeal to you, fuck off. <laughs> this is not going to be your show. But it's going to be ours. I, I think I was still uh, a schoolboy. In fact, I know I was. When I, it was on the 13th of November 1961, when I first heard the word fuck spoken in public. I was watching television. And there was a famous British theatre critic called Kenneth Tynan. And he became the first person to say, fuck on British television. I heard it as it happened. My my parents were embarrassed. And actually, the nation was scandalised. And the BBC apologised. It was on a a, a late-night chat programme. And he was talking. It was curious that he was the first person to say it because he had a stammer. So, you know, he could have got nervous at the last moment and begun saying, but he didn't. He he got it out cleanly and clearly. And he was somebody who was a noted theatre critic. He was, he campaigned against theatre censorship. He was famous because he put on a show in the West End called Au Calcutta, Mm. based on a French phrase, Au Calcutta, you know, oh, what an ass you've got, to use the American expression, uh, which was scandalous because it involved nudity, simulated sex on stage. The great choreographer Robert Helpman went to see it, didn't approve. It came out immediately afterwards, having seen all this naked frolicking and said the trouble with naked dancing is that not everything stops when the music stops. (laughs) So that was Ken Tynan, and it caused a big furore. So he is credited with being the first person officially to say fuck on television, though the wonderful actress, who's a friend of mine, Miriam Margolis, she did pop up to say that it was actually she who had said it on the television first as a frustrated aside when she was appearing on University Challenge in 1965. But having done some research into this, it turns out that it was the Irish playwright Brendan Behan who was probably the first person to utter the ancient Anglo-Saxon expletive on the box when he appeared live on Panorama in 1956. But it wasn't properly noticed at the time because he was so drunk he was slurring most of what he had to say. I mention it being Anglo-Saxon. 
What is the origin of the word fuck? What did it originally mean? What does it mean now? Susie Dent. Well, uh, the first thing I'm going to do is correct you. It's not Anglo-Saxon. Oh. Um, so we have we have a. a Why is it known as a famous Anglo-Saxon? It is, isn't it? We we tend to think of all our swear words as being Anglo-Saxon. In fact, the only real Anglo-Saxon swear word probably is shit, um, and bollocks were around as well in Anglo-Saxon times, but um, not rude at all. In fact, neither of them were considered to be particularly rude. Improper, maybe um, for shit, but um, those are the only two. Fuck came about um, quite a lot later, um, around the sort of 1300s, 40s. 1400s, you'll find the first records emerging. Now, I'm going to start with all the lovely stories attached to fuck, because one thing that we love to do, what English speakers love to do, is to invent stories, particularly invent acronyms for particular words. So shit, for example, I mentioned that. Um, the backronym, as they're known, so the kind of, you know, the, the acronym that's made up to explain the An story acronym is where you take the initial letters. Yes, and they form a word. So it's not an abbreviation. So um, it is it, it is something you can actually say as a word. Yam being an acronym for yet another meeting. Yes, that kind of thing. Exactly. Very good. YOLO, you only live once. That's an acronym. That's an acronym. Good. Yes. Um, So, shit, the backronym that has been invented to explain that one, um, so the the back acronym, the backstory, is um, ship high in transit. Something to do with storing combustible cow dung high in ships for fear of explosion. That's that's shit. That's the one that people made up for that. Do it again. S-H-I-T, ship high in transit. Ship high in transit. Yes, not true. Not true at all. Uh, in fact, it goes back to an old English word, shite, which meant exactly as it does what it does today. Like posh is not port out starboard home. It's not. The origin of posh. What is that, incidentally? Uh, posh, it probably goes back to an old Romany word, not an acronym at all, um, meaning sort of um, money. So it's a kind of spivvy type word. Posh. Uh, posh. Okay. So, so back um, to shit. Back to the shit. Back to shit. Oh, actually, we've done shit, so no one to fuck. I, I love those kind of sentences. So the backronym um, created for fuck is rather wonderful. People think that it might be fornication under consent of the king. And the story goes that oh, in times of plague, when the population had been decimated, um, the king positively encouraged to go forth and procreate and it said that couples would hang signs outside their doors saying F-U-C-K that they were fornicating under consent of the king and in no circumstances were they to be disturbed. Not true. I love it. What a great story. I love it. Can I chip in with a story now? Yes. Only because you saying bollocks has reminded me of it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember there was a pope called Pope Joan? A no, female pope? I don't. I should. Are you not interested in the history of the popes? Um, I will be now. You will be now. <laughs> there have been popes since the time of St. Peter, as it were, the yeah. original uh, pope. And in the early years of the papacy, there were lots of doubtful popes. And there was a girl who managed to become pope. And she was called Pope Joan. It caused a big, big scandal. And they didn't want any more female popes getting in on the act. <laughs> So there is to this day a special chair in the Vatican, which I have seen. You will recall when the Pope has been chosen, when the smoke has gone up and the Pope has been crowned, he is carried through St. Peter's Square on a chair by people underneath him who are carrying him through St. Peter's Square. Well, the chair has no bottom to it. Right. So he is perched on a chair, which is really rather like a loose seat. Okay. Oh, comfortable. Yeah. yeah, it is uncomfortable. I'm just wondering where this is going. It's going to be a square we're coming up soon. And, and <laughs> the point is that uh, to make sure that he was not female, the cardinals, he would be seated up on this chair. 
Uh, and um, with no underclothes, no underpants. Oh. People used to wear underclothes, in fact, in those days. So he had no, you know, like Scots people are supposed to be underneath their kilts. Not always, although the history of underwear is quite... Is, Tutankhamun was buried with 140 spare pa- pairs of underpants. Anyway, that's another story. Well, it's interesting. Yep. It's interesting. But let me finish my story <laughs> yes. about the Pope. So the Pope sits in this. He's just been elected. He sits in this chair that is like a loose seat, but you can't... Obviously, he's got his papal regalia on. Yes. And the cardinals walk underneath because the chair is being held up. And as they walk underneath, they gaze up at Mm -hmm. the Pope's bollocks. Yeah. And because, of course, they're cardinals, they speak in Latin. And as they go under the papal chair, they say, testiculos habet et bene pendentes. (laughs) Which translated means testicles he has and they hang well. Hanging nicely. Yes, exactly. So that's my bollocks story. Back to where you were with fuck. Back to fuck. Okay, so um, nothing to do with fornicating under consent of the king Um, and actually the real origin is much more sinister because we think it goes back to, with sound changes and letter changes, um, the Latin pugnare, meaning to hit. And the early records of fucking were all about hitting, particularly hitting women uh, rather than um, intercourse. So, um, as I say, not particularly nice origin. But I have to say, as far as swear words go, not only is it incredibly um, enduring. I mean, it's still, okay. may not have the shock value today that it did once upon a time, certainly not in um, Kenneth Tynan's day. But, you know, as a taboo, it's it's remained really strong. And you think of all the other words that have fallen out of use. Fuck has kept going. But it's so versatile, Giles. You know, adjective, intensifier, fucking unbelievable. You can have abso-fucking-lutely. You can just use it in so many different ways and actually that's why linguists love it. Separate it then please for a moment from as it were the the sexual act. Yes. Uh, in for example a book that I read when I was at prep school when I was sort of 10 or 11 yes. would have been 1960 the year uh, D.H. Lawrence's famous novel Lady Chatterley's Lover was first published in Britain. There was a big court case and as a result it was able to be published Previously, it had been published, I think, in France in English and possibly in America. I read Lady Chatterley's Lover, and there the word fuck is used not as an expletive, not as an aggressive term, but as a an informal, intimate term mm. for sexual intercourse. Mm-hmm. And it's meant in affection, you know, shall we fuck, can we fuck? That, mm. So there's that usage. Oh, forgive me now. Forgive me <laughs> Excitement, hitting the microphone, yes. Well, can I tell you, it was pretty exciting when I was 11 or 12 to read Lady Chatterley's Lover. Have you read it? I think I did, yeah, but a little bit older than that. I went to a convent, remember that. Oh, did you? Mm. We'll get on to that. So that's one use of the word, fuck. Put that to one side. The way I hear fuck being used on the bus... Uh, is in the expletive sense of that. Mm-hmm. And you say it is versatile and is it useful or is it lazy? Incredibly useful. Well, it's lazy if you rely on it. Like I think some comedians, in my experience, occasionally rely on it too much for a laugh because it always gets a laugh. It's that kind of nervous giggle that you get, you know, if they just say fuck off or use the C word or whatever, which you can now surprisingly do on British TV. But... Um, yeah, it's got it's got amazing power as as a. I mean, well, maybe we can talk about um, you know how 
uh, in terms of science now, how swearing is being viewed, because there's so much research going into it, not just in, in sort of linguistic ways, but physiological ways as well. Um, but I want to go back to that, that idea of hitting, because you will find that retained in some English surnames. So go back centuries and you will find a kestrel called a windfucker completely neutrally because it beat the air, the wind with its wings. It hit the air with its wings. So it was a wind fucker. Likewise, you will find a Mr. Fuck Beggar um, who was alive and quite literally kicking probably in the 13th century. So he clearly wasn't very nice to his, you know, his sort of inferiors as he would view them or people of, of lesser status than himself. So it was used in a hitting very sort of neutral way. Yeah, hitting and striking. But um, not in necessarily an aggressive way, it just meant hitting or striking. Well, it did in the bird sense. I think Mr. Fuckbeggar probably wasn't very nice. Um, but um, yes, it has amazing power and amazing versatility. And um, I, it's interesting because I find myself swearing more now uh, as I get older than no, I did before. It's the Are you the op- Can I say it's the company you're keeping? <laughs> yeah, no, maybe it's the eight it's, out of ten cats. It bro. is eight out of ten cats. You're with these lewd people who are not as young as they were when they began doing this and should know better now. But I'm and- using it with myself. So I will, if you know, if I hit my head, I and, and again, we can talk about stress relief um, and, and there is a word for it, stress relief, swearing as a form of stress relief. But it, um, yeah, I find it incredibly therapeutic and cathartic. I'm not really doing it to anybody else. I'm, I'm doing it for my own benefit. Oh, Susie, time for me to go to the loo or is that the lavatory? Is it the John? Is it the pissoir? I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to take a break now. We can play you an ad. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. (laughs) If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. I swear very, very rarely. Mm, I don't think I've ever heard you. Because of the way I was brought up. Right. I never heard either of my parents swear mm. at all. I mean, my my mother, she wouldn't have dreamt of it, uh, wouldn't have occurred to her, I don't yeah. think. She was the daughter of a missionary. Right. Um, and it just wouldn't, uh, it just would never have occurred to her. My father, he was in the army, you know, during the Second yeah. World War for six years. Uh, he was a lawyer. He went to boarding school, etc. I never heard him say bloody. Really, but he would have heard. He would have heard all the stuff about like swearing he, like so a trooper. He was totally said. familiar with it all. Mm, it just would it. never. Maybe would he never would have use it with his mates. Maybe, Maybe. I, I doubt it. Okay, I just, I, I just can't conceive of him using it. So I've never been in the habit of doing it. Mm. So I, I don't swear, and I have to say, I do find it a, a bit oppressive on the bus 
It's all, funny enough, it's on the bus, not on the underground. People are quiet on the underground, yeah. but they make a noise on the bus. Yeah. And on the bus, um, particularly uh, if I'm on the bus at times when people are going to school or coming back from school, I do hear people saying fuck quite a lot or yeah. fucking. And uh, I, I don't like it because it's lazy. But I'm also being rather self-conscious for people around me. I know. I have double standards, you see, because I don't like to hear swearing in front of my youngest at all. And I feel like becoming my mother and saying, do you mind? Yes. Um, How old is your youngest, by the way? She's 11 now. Oh. Um, so she must have heard these words. She's fascinated by them. She's absolutely fascinated by the whole subject of swearing. But kids are so funny, aren't they? I have a friend whose daughter came back from school and said, Mum, I heard the C word at school today, age eight. And uh, my friend was really quite perturbed about this, age eight, hearing mm. the C word, which, of course, is the biggest of all. But... Um, she said, OK, well, just you better tell me what it is. And her daughter said it was carp. And it turns out she hadn't even heard the word. It was crap that she thought was the C word. But she kind of somehow transposed it to carp and it all got lost, which I just love. But, um, yeah, kids are quite funny when it comes to swearing. But I do, there's that kind of, as I say, the giggling element as well as the naughty the, word. The reminder there that it's just letters. Yeah. And we are giving them, we are imposing on them these meanings because you mentioned the, the wind fucker. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, maybe the bird was really called the wind sucker. No. Because I, I recall that we had a very old edition of Shakespeare when I was a boy at home. And the S's in the printed version looked like F's. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That used to be a, a type of script, did it? It did, yeah. Oh, it was, yes, it was just the, the um, I think, script primarily from the Middle Ages. You'll still find it in the manuscript. So but I no, it loved it in, in Where the Bee Sucks, There Suck I, when I was again <laughs> 11 or 12 reading Lady Chatter's Lover. Where the Bee Fucks, There Fuck I. I thought, hey, look at this. We've got a dirty book here written it. by Shakespeare. Um, so it is curious. We are the people imposing it. So, up. yes, it's funny, again, taboos are quite interesting because in the Middle Ages, the biggest taboos were... Um, words that were considered to be blasphemy. So it was all about religious oaths. And so we evolved a huge number of um, euphemisms, really. We produced a whole, whole lot of euphemisms to, you know, cover the fact that we were talking about um, Jesus Christ, which became Jeepers Creepers, which became Jiminy Cricket. We had Gore Blind Me for God Blind Me. We had some really convoluted ones like Gad's Budlikins, meaning God's body, or Zounds for God's wounds, um, and that kind of thing. In the early days, uh, the very, very early days, it was a kind of mix between body parts being considered improper, but also being used completely clinically and normally in surgery manuals. So you will find the C word freely used in anatomy manuals in sort of 13th century, for example, uh, which is quite interesting. Um, likewise, bollocks were used simply for the testicles. And they were really, they just said it as it was. So one of my favourite uh, expressions for a part of the body, which you will find um, going back, and it was even used in the Bible, for intestines, they were called arse ropes. Arse ropes. Perfect, because it just is so transparent, isn't it? Arse ropes are your intestines. Anyway, I love that. Um, so they were fairly matter of fact. Then came the sort of religious profanity. And it's it's really sort of in, in the kind of the latter part of um, the last millennium, I suppose, that things really took a turn towards body parts being the big taboos and the fuck being a big part of that. Body parts and, and bodily body functions. Acts, yes. And so up until what time are we talking? 1500, 1600? Yes, I mean... So it would simply be an anatomical description. Bollocks were testicles. When did bollocks come to mean rubbish or... Well, it's interesting. It's had a really interesting life, bollocks, because, um, yes, you'll say that's a load of bollocks um, and you'll you'll find that probably only from the sort of 1800s, 1900s 
you know, onwards. But nowadays we might say that's top bollocks, meaning that's and that's really good. Indeed, so it's flipped. That's dogs bollocks. Dogs bollocks. The top item on the Korean menu. Do you know dog's bollocks? Do you know where that comes from? That's a lovely story. It's a printer's story. term, is it? It's a printer's term for the colon dash. So the punctuation that is the colon and then a dash, because it looks like a dog's testicles, they were known as the dog's bollocks. But because the dog's bollocks sounded like the cat's whiskers, um, so if you wanted, the kipper's knickers. So, so we're not rushing people. If you're correcting proofs or something and you say, I don't want just a colon here, I want a colon and then a dash before yeah. somebody speaks you would indicate, you'd write dog's bollocks. No, it wasn't really an instruction. It was just slang amongst printers. Ah, They'd say, oh, you need a dog's bollocks in there. Um, But because the formula sounded like the cat's whiskers and there were a whole load of formulae like cat's whiskers, as I say, kipper's knickers. Um, Forgive me, you can't say cat's whiskers and not explain what the origin is. Oh, cat's whiskers actually does. It's not a fanciful phrase because we think it goes back to the um, early wires that came off transistor radios that would kind of um, vibrate. So, uh, and they look like cat's whiskers. So I think that's where that comes from. But most of them just sounded good. But dog's bollocks being... The best. It just sounded like those, so it became the acme of excellence. Yes, that's how it worked. You must just tell me the origin of wanker. Uh, Wanker, mm, that's a good one, actually, because I think... I'm going to look this up. This I must explain to listeners. The reason that I'm not bringing my um, computer in and that we're relying entirely on Susie's when looking up these words is I do not wish to be arrested at a later date for spending time putting in words like wanker into the computer. Well, okay, origin unknown, sadly, in the OED, which is what I figured, but um, what's quite interesting, obviously wanker, originally somebody who masturbates, and there's something here, apologies to everyone listening if if, um, this offends you, but it's called wanker's doom, disability caused by excessive masturbation. (laughs) (laughs) Wanker's doom. They're all doing it now. Have you seen The Favourite? The favourite, the film with Olivia Colman and all of those people. Oh, it's a wanker's paradise. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Have no fear. Um, But it became an objectionable, contemptible person in 1972, according to the OED. Get out, you fucker, screamed a youth. Another said, you wanker, and indulge in a masturbatory gesture. What is interesting there about that is that when uh, I was a boy, the idea of masturbation was completely taboo and people would tell you that you would go blind if you indulged in it. Uh, yeah. Whereas now, it's totally acceptable, mainstream films are featuring it. But while uh, masturbation has become acceptable, so wanking is now acceptable, uh, as a word, you wanker, now means the reverse of acceptable. It's not, it's not a nice term, although you will find all of these words, similar to fucker as well, you will find them being used semi-affectionately. So if you've, if you've got, you know, a couple of friends just say, oh, you wanker, like that. It all depends on the tone, doesn't yeah. it? So what are your rules about these words? Are they just collections of letters? Are they acceptable to you? What is your feeling about bad language? Um, do I have rules? Well, as I say, I think I have double standards because I remember when my daughter, my eldest daughter, um, when she was a teenager, uh, just just becoming a teenager, you started to use frigging as a euphemism for fucking. I didn't like that at all. Um, and um, I don't think she's ever really sworn at me. Um, but you know, I, again, it all depends on how you're using it. I think if it's used aggressively, um, then actually it does, ha- it does still hold power under the power to offend i think you need to go very very carefully but i did talk earlier and promise to return to this um research that shows how um swearing can actually release all sorts of emotions that you really don't want pent up and um i don't know if you saw it i think it's um uh, on youtube and and other channels where uh, there was an experiment done um involving brian blessed 
and Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry was a spectator in this one, but Brian Blessed, who is, um, for those who don't know him, who is a very larger, than, a real larger than life it's a big, character. booming actor with a big, <laughs> booming voice and a huge beard. A huge beard, stentorian voice, absolutely. And he put his hand in a, a big tank of ice-cold water. And he was allowed to use one swear word only. It's funny because the whole um, time it's sort of punctuated by him saying, can't can I use fuck as well as bollocks? But bollocks is what he chose. So he just said, bollocks, 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 all the way through to see whether swearing could actually um, enable him to hold his hand in the tank longer than the previous experiment, which had him doing the same thing, holding his hand in, but without swearing and without saying anything. And um, results have shown time and time again that actually if you swear very loudly, let it all out while you are enduring pain, you can endure that pain for a lot longer. I mean, I think it's as much as sort of 90 seconds or something extraordinary. Um, and there, so stress relief, and there's something you, very, very... And do you think it needs to be it. a swear word or could it be an invented word? Well, it's something that has power for you. Oh. Um, but I think swearing holds particular power for most people. And let's face it, if we stub our toe, it does help to jump around swearing, don't you think? I don't know. I don't think I do it. Or do I do it? Oh, gosh, I do. Do you? Oh, yeah. Big time. As I say, I do it more and more. And it is in my own company that I tend to do it because I think my convent education stays with me still. But you just you shouldn't, you just shouldn't do any of this stuff. So our rules are we should be sensitive. Always sensitive. And we should not use swear words for reasons of laziness. Not, not, don't just use them as fillers. Use them for impacts. Enjoy their versatility. Um, certainly use them for stress relief because there's a proven link for that. And um, yeah, maybe lighten up a little bit. And uh, yeah, but I think, I think it's always a balance, isn't it? It's always a tricky path. Oh, before we go, we've got to have your triple whammy. Every time we meet, you come up with three words that might be old, might be new, a bit surprising, a bit unusual, but genuine words that do exist, that have heritage and hope. What are the three you've got for us this week? Uh, well, they, I've tried to choose words that have something to do with swearing. Um, so the first one is exactly what I've just talked about. It is uh, the relief of tension in your body through a good swear. And the word for that, if you want to justify um, turning the air blue when you've stubbed your toe, is lalochezia. So that is L-A-L-O-C-H-E-Z-I-A. Lalochezia. And what's the origin of that? Uh, that is Greek. And mo most medical conditions are, are nicknamed And it means Greek. relief through... Relief through... So you jump language. in the bath. A eureka is actually an example of that. When, when what's-his-name, jumped into the bath and it was too hot... And he, he cried, Eureka? Who was but the that? Was a, that, that, that was um, Archimedes. Archimedes. But that was about, uh, yeah, that was a sort of discovery, wasn't it? I think it was less Lalochezia and more, wow. Oh, What the guy ow. just discovered. Yes. Um, the next word is, I mentioned earlier, the versatility of fuck, for example, but many swear words. And uh, you might say that something is absolutely marvellous or absolutely, and that um, splitting of words, and so putting one in the middle, sandwich words, if you like, uh, is... It's called tamesis. That is the process. Tamesis. Timesis. Tamesis. So T M E S I S. Bit weird on the page. Oh, T M. Tamesis again, Greek. The, oh my T M. As in tonology, as it were. T M. T M E S I S. E S I. Tamesis. Tamesis. So that's where you put fuck in the middle. Or yeah, it's usually a swear word actually, but it's it's from the Greek for splitting. So you're cutting a word up and putting another one in the middle. Um, and my final one is just a word. Well, actually, there's two words here, two C words, but not the ones you might expect for when you're feeling 
a bit grumpy and irritable and therefore probably prone to swearing. And um, you were feeling crumpsy and carnaptious. Crumpsy? Two words from the historical lexicon. So, I.e. crumpsy at the end of it? Uh, no, why? C-R-U-M-P-S-Y. Yeah, and carnaptious. And what do they mean? Just grumpy, irritable and oh, just God. basically a bit hatchet-faced. Do you know... <laughs> I have to guard against that. I do? As one gets... I do uh, no, being irritable. I know, you don't, because I do it all at home. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, uh, my wife says, what the fuck are you up to now? I said, <laughs> I do all the swearing. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm, I'm being crumpsy and connapsy. No, I do. Now, look, I tell you what, I, you give me every time we meet one of your lovely new words to use, lalochesia. Uh, Tamesis, uh, crumpsy and carnaptious, but that's four words, isn't it? Well, yes, I did. You can take your pick between carnaptious and crumpsy. I couldn't choose. I've got a surprise for you this week. Okay. I was given last Christmas the Shakespeare insult generator. Oh, excellent! And I think this is more fun than using these predictable old words with which we are so familiar. Mm. These are genuine words from Shakespeare. Fustilarian, catastrophe, exactly. that kind of thing. You apish, ball-pated abomination. <laughs> you con... Oh, con... Oh, that's too difficult, that one. Uh, you cuckoldy, muddle-metalled codpiece. You... I'm just turning the pages. You heinous, uh, snook-shotten, horseback-breaker. They're rather fun, aren't they? Oh, it's actually... I'll, you fustilarian something-something. I'll tickle your catastrophe, which I love. Yeah. Uh, Mind boggles. Nook shotten means full of nooks and angles, confusing and deceptive. The point is, one should be more imaginative. I agree. So get yourself a Shakespeare insult generator, you greasy, senseless, obstinate jackanapes. (laughs) I'm loving this. Oh, yes, you puking, sodden-witted measles. This is effective, isn't it? It is effective. But, you know, I reckon if you put a few swear words in, it would have had even more impact. Okay, I'll go away now. Yeah, we'll both fuck off. (laughs) Uh, Do please... Do what you can to uh, rate it and review us, whatever you're listening, because it'll help bring other listeners to the party. Uh, and to make sure you get all the future episodes, um, just subscribe, and then it will it will all happen. And I do assure you, there won't be um, this windfucker business every week. <laughs> we just got a bit carried away today. Something Rhymes with Purple is the Something Else production. It was produced by Paul Smith with additional production from Russell Finch, Steve Ackerman and Josh Gibbs. They didn't do much, but we're including them here just to make them feel a bit warmer.